if you're visiting today, my name is Miguel Lopez. I'm the associate pastor here at Trinity, and we want you to make yourself at home, okay? Um, so a while back, there was a bartender who uh, uh, noticed that there was a certain man who would come to his bar once a month on the first night of the month, and uh, he would always do this strange thing. He would order three beers all together, and then he would go sit at a table, and he would drink those beers one at a time. And so, you know, after a few months of this, finally the bartender got curious. And so he asked the guy, he says, hey, what's the deal with these three beers? Why do you get three beers and sit over there by yourself, same table, you know, and drink these three beers? And the guy says, well, I have two brothers. He says, and we used to, once a month, first first night of the month, uh, we would go together to a bar and we would drink our blues away. He says, but now we all live in different states. And so uh, we still, by tradition, do this on the first night of the month. Uh, we each go to a local bar and we each get three beers and it's like we're all together. And so the bartender goes, all right, well, that answers my question. The very next month, the guy comes to the bar and he tells the bartender, I'm just ordering two beers. And so uh, the bartender, you know, kind of got sad for him, you know, and then he poured the two beers and he passed it to him and he said, hey, he said, I- I'm sorry about your brother. And the guy says, well, there's nothing wrong with my brother. I just quit drinking. All right, today's title is called Overcoming Post-Christmas Blues. And uh, let me just talk about that for a second. What are post-Christmas blues? Because many of us here have experienced it. And I guarantee this, if you have not or are not, I am sure there is someone around you who is. So uh, let me describe the post-Christmas blues. So you picture Christmas coming up. You have, uh, you know, you have all the anticipation of Christmas. So you have the Christmas trees, Christmas lights, ornaments, uh, you know, attending parties. Uh, then you open the gifts. And then after Christmas, all that anticipation is gone. And so there's a tendency to just drop into this kind of depression. Some people feel it after New Year's. Some people feel it a little bit after that. But I guarantee if you are not or have not uh, personally gone through something like this, you know someone who is. And so today, uh, what I'm hoping is that this message will will directly apply to you. And if not, at least secondarily, you'll have some information that you can use to encourage somebody else. So this is all going to be about overcoming the post-Christmas blues. And our three points today are going to be remember, connect, and serve. Okay? So, overcoming post-Christmas blues, remember, connect, and serve. Let's pray together. Let's see what God has for us. Dear Lord, I thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord. You're always faithful. You're an awesome God. And you've given us so much, Lord, that we take for granted. And so I pray, God, uh, for anyone who's experiencing what I'm talking about, uh, I ask you, Lord, to be their encouragement today and tomorrow and the rest of their life, God. And I pray this would be a turning point for that person. And Lord, uh, for those of us who uh, feel pretty good about life, um, I pray you would help us keep our eyes open because there are people around us, maybe even in our home, that are hurting, Lord. And we have an opportunity to spread your hope. Lord, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so our first point today is remember. Now, Christmas blues are worse when we get stuck thinking about the weather, about gray skies, about financial worry. If you weren't depressed already, you probably are now, right? Uh, <clears throat> weight gain from eggnog and desserts, all those things that, that tend to pull us down. And uh, one of the most useful gifts that God has given us is memory. And here's how I mean that. 
when we stop to remember him and when we stop to remember all that he's done. It makes a difference in our lives. So we'll start with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, where it says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. He's talking about believers who have died. But then he says this, That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Now, just briefly, because I'm not going to take a lot of time on this verse, but just briefly, he mentions this. He's making a contrast between believers and non-believers, between those who know Christ and those who don't know Christ. And there in that second half of the verse, the part that's underlined, he says that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And what the Apostle Paul here is implying is this, is that those who don't know Christ have no hope. Or whatever hope they have is fleeting at best. But believers, we have an eternal hope. I want every believer in this room, think about just some of the things that God has given you or done for you. If you have um, a relationship with God, if you are a believer in Christ, well, one, you have a relationship with God. Two, you have a Savior. You have forgiveness of sins. You have the promise of eternal life. I mean, really let that sink in. You have the promise of eternal life. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. Your name has been sealed in the book of life. It can't be erased from the book of life. And there's so many more things God has done for you. But when you hear people say, count your blessings, you need to begin with the eternal things that God has done, the eternal changes God has made in you and that he promises you. Because that will give you hope when others around you don't have any. Believers have eternal hope, y'all. On your worst day, if you're a believer, on your worst day, you have eternal hope. My question is this. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten God? Have you forgotten what he's done? Whenever I hear somebody say, oh, I can't wait till this year's over. This year's been a terrible year. And I get it. Some years are worse than others. Some years are really hard. And sometimes winter can be really long. But you know what? Again, even in your worst year, if you're a believer, Almighty God has blessed you in so many ways. And sometimes it helps if you just write those things down. So when you reach those rough spots, it'll help you remember. Now let's go back to the very beginning. Okay, we're going to go back when God created everything in the book of Genesis. And it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Sometimes uh, I just take some time to think about everything God created over the six days before he rested. And you think about it, he spoke light into existence. And then there was the expanse, and eventually the birds could fly through that expanse. He made the land appear, and then he started making the creatures appear, the variety of creatures that God created. Uh, you know, the flying ones, the crawling ones that, you know, what I'm saying if we stop and think about the colors that God created, if we think about the plants, if we think about everything God created, if we stop and really think and then the heavens, I left that part out, you know, the, the stars, if we stop and think about what God created, it makes sense when it says God saw everything he had made and behold, it was very good. It was very good. Um, that for one thing helps me again, it helps give me hope. 
reminds me of what God has done. But that's not what Adam and Eve did. So let's, let's look at that in chapter 2, verse 16. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. If you and I think back to the time of creation, if you and I could have been there, it's easy to think, you know, I think I would have been content. I think I could have resisted. But this thing for sure, Adam and Eve had one command. That's all just one rule to follow. They had all that stuff to look at and enjoy that we just went through. Everything that God had created. Everything that was so, so good. And he gave them one rule. And don't you know it? Rather than remember God and focus on him, rather than think about all that God had done, they fixed their eyes on that fruit. And you know how the story went from there. It makes you wonder what might have happened if they would have stopped and remembered God, remembered what he had done. Now, conversely, this is good to know. God remembers you. God remembers his people. God remembers you. So I want, I want to read just one of the verses that talks about how intimately God remembers his people. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15, it says this. Can a woman forget her nursing child? Okay, pause on that because we're going to talk about that for a little bit. But this is God describing how much he thinks about us. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Let's talk about nursing moms for a second, okay? The obvious, right? There's physical contact. There's also eye contact because they're so in such close proximity. And then there's the emotional bond. And God chooses that example to describe to you and me how much he thinks about you and me. If you're a believer, you are on God's mind that much. We have some friends who they remember the day they decided they needed to quit breastfeeding. (laughs) And it was their little toddler. uh, He finished drinking on one side. And then he said, Mom, the other one. That's how they knew. Okay. That would give you a clue. Um, you know what else though, y'all? God instructs his people to remember him. Okay. He remembers us intimately, but he also instructs us to remember him. In Deuteronomy chapter six, verse 20, it says, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and all the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? So he starts with this idea. When your kids ask you, what's this all about? This whole church thing, this whole rules and commandments. You know, what's this all about? This is what he says in verse 21. Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Do you notice that, y'all? This happens throughout the Old Testament, by the way, where specifically this event, the exodus from Egypt, um, is quoted and, and talked about either in, in just one verse or a lot of verses. But the idea is this, that God said, when your kids ask, then remind them who I am and remind them what I have done. 
remind them who I am and what I've done. This is the most rehearsed story in the Old Testament. Israel was constantly reminded of how God, through a strong hand, had delivered them from Pharaoh, from slavery, and from Egypt. And by the way, in case you don't know this, that was also a foreshadowing of how God would deliver the believer from Satan and from slavery to sin. It's that same idea. If we stop and remember him, if we stop and remember what he has done. In the New Testament, uh, I'm sorry, still in the Old Testament, there's an often repeated phrase, lest ye forget. It says that throughout the Old Testament, lest ye forget. And what's implied is this, is that when we don't rehearse these stories and go through the stories of what God has done, our tendency is to forget what he's done. And we'll start feeling those blues and we start feeling distant from him. You know, um, the substance abuse programs, uh, they get the idea. Because um, you'll hear people, and I'm sure you've all heard people when they stand up in front of a crowd or in front of a group, and they'll say, hi, I'm so-and-so, and I've been clean three days. Or, hi, I'm so-and-so, and I've been clean three months or three years. Well, that's exactly how believers ought to think. You ought to think back to the day when you remember meeting Christ, when you remember that Christ came to live within you, when you trusted him to save you. When you realized you couldn't save yourself and you needed a savior and you called on him and the Holy Spirit of God came to live within you. You know, for me, I can stand in front of you and say, I'm Miguel Lopez and I've been clean by the Holy Spirit of God for over 41 years. It's been a long time. And you know, when he cleanses us, we're cleansed for keeps, y'all. You don't mess up and have to start counting those days again, okay? From the day you meet Christ, your sins are completely forgiven. God wants you to remember him, remember his ways. By the way, this is one of the Holy Spirit's jobs. He helps us remember. So we see this in John chapter 14, verse 26. It says, but the helper, talking about the Holy Spirit, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance All that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit Spirit brings back God's promises. But he also brings back memories, y'all. I know there's times when the Holy Spirit brings back to me songs that we sing here in church. Or who bring back different memories of what he has done in my life. And it makes me thankful. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, Let's go on to the next slide. And uh, I want you to think about this, okay. In the Old Testament, like I mentioned... God told the people to retell the stories and he told them a reason, lest you forget, right? Because we're prone to forget. In the New Testament, you hear these ideas where he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Or he might say, keep your mind on heavenly things. But it's the same idea, y'all. Remember God. Remember what he has done specifically for you, okay? I think it's important to remember what he's done in ancient history when you read the word of God. Okay, so that's important. And I think it's also important to remember what he has specifically done in your life because it keeps your faith fresh and it keeps you encouraged. So why should we remember the blessings of the past? Well, one thing, I think when we remember the blessings of the past, it produces gratitude for the past. That's a good thing. 
but it also produces hope for the future. Whenever I think back, especially if I'm looking, you know, ahead and I know that, that there's a few rough weeks or maybe a, a rough patch coming, I, my tendency is to look back and to remember what God has done and times he's been faithful. And what that does, it strengthens my faith and it gives me that hope for that next day or week or month or however long that period is going to be. And I know that it's the same God. He doesn't change. And so I know he's going to be faithful again, regardless of what I go through, regardless of how hard it is. Still, it's still the same God. Uh, our family, um, you know, the Lopez family, uh, we do this all the time. You know, we we just retell stories of what God has done. And when I say that, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that to encourage everybody in here. That's the way we all should be. We should all be doing that all the time. Just remember when God did this or that or saved that person or provided this job or the things that God has done and keep those things written. Um, I'm reminded of uh, when my kids were little. Uh, you know, we remember each one of them and when they each came to faith in Christ. And uh, and sometimes we remember times when when one of the kids tried to lead another one of the kids to Christ. OK, and one such story was uh, Emily was five years old and my son, Tim, was three. And it was a Saturday morning. I remember because it was the only day I ever get to sleep in. OK, and I was going to sleep in. And then Connie and I hear the screaming and then in runs Emily and she's saying, Timothy saved, Timothy saved, you know, and then Timothy runs in after her. Right. He's three years old. He's going, I saved, I saved, you know, and I thought this kid don't have a clue, you know, and I thought, but I didn't want to discourage Emily, you know, so we're looking and they're both happy and jumping up and down. And I thought, okay, so how can I reveal this to Em without discouraging her? And I looked at Tim and I said, Tim, I said, tell me what sin is. And he goes, sin, sin, cinnamon toast. (laughs) And I looked at Emily. I said, I don't think he gets it yet. Okay. Y'all, one of the most important things God has given us to defeat the post-Christmas blues is a memory. God wants us to remember. He wants us to remember who he is and what he's done, which leads us to our next point. Second thing we can do is to connect. Christmas blues are worse when we're isolated. One of the first illustrations I learned when I became a Christian way back when I was in college uh, about being connected to other believers, and I bet you most of you have heard this already, is is the illustration about the logs burning together in a you know uh, as a fire, and how together a bunch of logs will burn brightly, but if one of them rolls off the pile, it doesn't take long till it's extinguished and dies out. And that idea was ingrained in my mind long, long, long time ago, y'all, that God wanted me to stay connected to other believers. And he wants the same for you. So he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. He says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. There's a lot we can emphasize here in this verse or these verses here. But you see, there's a couple of things I have underlined. The same phrase twice, that idea, I do not belong. I do not belong. How many times have you said it or felt that way? I do not belong. Or maybe you've heard somebody 
who says that. But if you look at it in context, what God is saying is this. If you become a believer, he's the one that's already made you part of the body. There's no changing that. It's not irreparable. Uh, It's irreparable. You can't change it. Okay. And so the idea, I mean, you never hear about God amputating part of his body. You never hear about that. Okay. You hear about him adding people to the body. Right. But nobody ever gets cut off. Okay. The idea is that is that once you become part of the body, guess what? God says you belong. Even when you don't feel like it. And even if someone tells you you're not a great example of what it means to be a Christian. Because the truth is. The only thing that makes you a Christian is whether or not Christ lives within you. Once he lives within you, guess what? He's already made you part of the body. And when God does something and he says you belong, then guess what? That trumps anything anybody else says. You belong because God says so. But we go on in verse 17. It says this. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? Okay, you get the idea, right? If the whole if your whole body was one eyeball, you know what I'm saying? It's ridiculous, but it, it but it's to prove a point, okay? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing, okay? And it's a rhetorical question, but the answer is, well, you, you wouldn't be able to hear. An eyeball was not designed to hear. If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Same thing, y'all. The ear was not designed to smell. But as it is, watch this, y'all. God arranged the members. You see who did it? Look carefully. God arranged the members in the body. Each one of them. Each one of them as he chose. That means God chose your role. Okay. You don't get to tell him. I mean, you can ask. But he knows best, right? He's already chosen your role. And he's given you the gifts he wants you to use in the body. But for sure, he wants us connected. You know, I hear people, and it's popular these days. There's a group called the Duns. I don't know if you've, you've heard of that group. You can Google it. But it's folks who say, yeah, I've been to church. I've done that. And now I still believe in God, but I'm done with organized religion or whatever. I had somebody tell me that one time, by the way, this lady. I was inviting her to church. And she says, I don't believe in organized religion. And I said, do I look organized? But anyway, you know, um, but the point is that, that you know, um, right? God wants us connected and he's made us all, he's made us all different for a reason, y'all, that we can, that we can better serve him and serve the body. Chapter 12, verse 24 says this, but God has so composed the body. If one member suffers, all suffer together. That's the way it's supposed to be. Now you all know the story. In fact, Marcus, I think said it uh, last week or two weeks ago that, you know, you get up middle of the night, you stub your toe. What are you thinking about? Your whole body thinks about your toe all of a sudden. And that's the way the body of Christ should be. But you see, if you're, if you're not connected, then we can't know when you're going through good times or hard times. That's part of the connection is opening up and it's trusting. And um, yeah, it's not easy, but it's the way God wants it, y'all. He wants us to be family. Anyway, there's no question. It's not debatable. God wants us connected. Now, I want to talk a little bit about redwood trees. So first, I want you to see this picture. And uh, I've never actually been to uh, to see the redwoods in, in person. Um, but uh, 
God made Google. Now, anyway, uh, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, like uh, what amazes me about them is that they grow to be about 35 stories tall. Yet they start uh, just a little bitty seed, no bigger than a, than a tomato seed. Okay, And then they grow 35 stories tall. That's about the height of the skyscrapers you see over in New Orleans, Okay, right across the lake. Now, you would think that the roots would grow deep, right? If it's going up, you know, roughly, say, 350 feet, then wouldn't you think the roots would have to go deep as well? Well, guess what? They don't. Um, I want you to see this next picture. And I'm just going to read this part about sequoias. It says, redwood tree roots are very shallow or relatively shallow compared to the height, only five or six feet deep. Okay, let that sink in for a second. Only five or six feet deep. Well, how do they stay standing up? They make up for it in width, sometimes extending their roots a hundred feet from the trunk. They thrive in thick groves where the roots can intertwine and even fuse together. This gives them tremendous strength against the forces of nature. This way, they can withstand high winds and raging floods. It's a great picture, huh? They grow tall, but the reason they're able to stand is because they're connected together. It's the way God made them, and there's a lesson in it, y'all. God wants us connected. He designed us for connection. He designed us for community. Years and years ago when I was the youth pastor here, uh, first time around, (laughs) uh, I'm sorry, if you're visiting, I'm the youth pastor again, okay? Um, But uh, back when I was the the youth guy the first time around, uh, I used to take the kids once a year to a place called Twin Lakes. It's close to Jackson, Mississippi. And what I liked about that place is it had a ropes course. And so uh, one of the uh, one of the elements that we would do on the ropes course was there was a series of cable that were only about, say, about 12 inches off the ground. So it wasn't very high uh, and they would they would be stranded between these trees. And so the first the first section was about 12 feet across. And so the deal was that the kids uh, and we didn't let the, the adults help them. The kids had to figure out a way how they could get all the way across these four strands of cable to the end tree without anybody, without anybody's foot touching the ground. And here was the rule. If anyone's foot slipped, if any one person's foot slipped, they had to start all over. Now, I would do this with the junior high kids. So you've got, you know, seventh and eighth grade kids. And, uh, and the guy that ran the camp, I remember the first time we did this, he leaned over to me and he said, he said, just keep watching them. He goes, after about 15 minutes, their true personalities start coming out. Okay. Cause you know, at first they're trying to get across this cable and then somebody slips and they laugh about it and they start again. Then they get a little further and they've even made it almost to the second tree and then somebody back here slips and they got to start all over. And after a while they start getting, getting frustrated. Now, uh, is there any Benoit in the room? Uh, he, he was here earlier. Okay, so so his son, Ernie Benoit, young Ernie Benoit. So Ernie Benoit the third. Okay, I'll never forget this. Okay, that's when we saw leadership come out of Ernie. And he says, and he starts yelling at everybody. He says, all right, everybody stop. He says, this kid Casey, he needs to be the first one across. Now, the deal was they had to cross that first strand of cable. And then there was a, a cable up overhead that they could grab a hold onto on a pulley. And you could actually walk it back. And then once you had a hold of that, 
then anybody could cross that cable because now they had something to help with their balance. Well, it would always start on the far side. And so Ernie says, let Casey go across. And people said, why, why, why? And he says, because he's a skateboarder. He's got better balance than any of us. I mean, the kid was amazing. Like he could, he could just glide across this cable. And I mean, every single time and he, he wouldn't slip. Well, this one girl, Katie, she says, but you might hurt people's feelings. <laughs> then Ernie said, I love it. I don't care about anybody's feelings. <laughs> and now he's in the ministry. <laughs> and he's married and he's got kids. <laughs> so pray for his wife and kids. All right. Hey, y'all. God wants us connected. He did not design us to be isolated. And if you want to get past the Christmas blues, if you want to help other people get past it, you got to help them get connected. Okay. Our third point today is serve. The Christmas blues are worse when we're focused on self. God designed us to serve him and to serve one another. So let's talk about serving the Lord. Luke chapter 12, verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Verse 42. And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. It's just a simple concept, y'all. First and foremost, God calls us to love him and to serve him. God first. And then whatever's going to be second can be second. But God has to be first. The master looks for faithful and wise people. So we serve him first. In fact, if you think about the top two commandments. When they asked Jesus what are the greatest commandments. Right? Remember he said love God first. And then he said love others. Okay? So there's one and two for you. All right? So first we serve God. And then Philippians chapter 2 talks about serving others. It says in Philippians 2, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Wow. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Okay? So, again, it's pretty simple. When we think about serving others, right? Nothing from selfish ambition. Count others more significant than ourselves. Then he talks about, he says, look not only to his own interests. So the idea is this. You don't just, you don't just forget about your own interests, right? You do have to take care of your responsibilities. But then it says, but also to the interest of others. That's the difference from being uh, selfish or serving the way Christ would have us, y'all. Also to the interest of others. You know, it's one of the easiest ways, honestly, to serve somebody. Um, especially right now, when we're still, you know, more or less in the Christmas season. If you know somebody who's down, just ask them this question. Are you interested in spiritual things? Now, some of you, when you think about asking that question, you think, oh, what if they say yes? What do I say? You know, that's when you pray real hard. Because you know what? If they say yes, God's already doing a work. God's already stirring in them. Okay? He'll give you something to say. And if you don't know, you can always say, I don't know. And I'll try to find out. Right? But what a great question. Are you interested in spiritual things? To serve somebody by helping them know about Christ. And really, the easiest thing you can do there 
just tell them what Christ has done for you. Okay? Because by then you'll have made a list, right? Because you've been listening to me. So, um, when I was in high school, uh, I was a freshman and I went to East Jefferson High School. Okay? So if you don't know who the mascot is at East Jefferson High School, we were the Warriors. Okay? And the thing about Warriors is this, is that, you know, it was an all-guys school. And I want to say it was close to 2,000, like 1,800 students. All guys. All guys. And we were warriors. Now, seniors like to initiate freshmen. And so what would happen from time to time if you were a freshman is a, a group of seniors, because they acted in groups like a pack of wolves. Anyway, <laughs> they would uh, they would grab hold of a freshman and they would give him war paint. Right. So they would use either lipstick or Sharpies and uh, and they would uh, they would give them war paint on their face and then send them on their way. OK. And that was the initiation for freshmen. Right. Somehow I made it through my freshman year unscathed. But the closest I ever came to it one time, uh, it was four freshmen, myself and three others. And one of the teachers asked us to carry some cardboard. Now, this was during lunchtime to carry a bunch of cardboard from the school to the gym which means we had to walk directly through this one path, this one sidewalk that was basically a gauntlet of seniors, okay? And so it was going to be these three freshmen and myself and carrying this cardboard. You know, cardboard can be awkward, right, to carry, all right? And it's during lunchtime, so we go outside, and of course, the other guys are faster than me, and I'm walking along, and I feel like I've got the cardboard on the outside and on the inside, but the ones in between, every time I take a step, they're slipping and slipping. And I'm thinking, oh, no. And even back then, I would pray, you know. But anyway, just hoping and hoping. And sure enough, the cardboard falls out on that sidewalk in the middle of all these seniors. Well, I don't know what to do. I just started trying to grab this cardboard. But here is what happened, y'all. The most unlikely thing. I could have never predicted it. Out of that crowd of seniors, this one guy walked out and he had these thick, thick glasses. I mean, it made his eyeballs look like E.T., okay? And so, but he came out of the crowd and without saying a word to me, he started picking up some of that cardboard. And when he had enough of it, he walked onto the gym and I had the rest and I walked very quickly behind him. (laughs) We get to the gym I dropped my pile of cardboard. I turned around to thank him. He was already gone. Now, I didn't see him again until a few months later. I got invited to a prayer meeting before school. Okay, so I went to that. And a few of the guys that spoke in front of that in front of that group, I knew they were party animals. And they were standing in front of this prayer group talking about Jesus and faith in Jesus. Now, the words they were saying were true. But the words I kept hearing in my head were hypocrites and fakes. That was what was going through my mind. And then somebody introduced another guy to come up and speak. And guess who walks up? The guy with those big, thick glasses. Here's what I want you to hear. I hung on every word that guy said. Okay? And not because he was cool looking, okay? But because he had demonstrated by his lifestyle what God calls us to be, right? God wants us 
to serve one another. Sometimes we speak louder, y'all, if we'll serve people. You know, and I'll hear people say, oh, I don't know how I can serve. I can't really do anything for God. It's like, you're not trying hard enough, okay? There's a million ways. All that guy did was look for the opportunity to pick up some cardboard. That's all he did. <clears throat> I want to close up with this thought, okay? We're trying to overcome post-Christmas blues, right? And again, I don't know where you are. Maybe you're not depressed, okay? But... I guarantee you know someone who is. So three thoughts, three thoughts. I got to look at them. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Were you listening? Uh, God wants us to remember him and what he's done. God wants us connected and God wants us to serve. Okay. Remember, connect, serve. Let me pray for you. And uh, if you listen to my advice, I think you'll have a happy new year. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you that you remember us, that you reached out to connect to us. And Lord, you're the ultimate servant by dying on the cross for our sins, by rising from the dead. And Lord, I pray you would help us follow your example, Lord. Help us remember, connect, and serve. In Christ's name, amen. All right, you're dismissed.